This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Fans, how you doing? It's your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. I am coming at you live from the Jonathan Macri studio, which is just my wife's desk that I bought for her so she could work in peace in our home. Um, I don't know why I said that. Uh, and of course, I am joined by my esteemed co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, the um, I don't know. What else are you, Jeremy? Jeremy Cohen, what, what are you, Jeremy? How would you describe yourself? Um, I would say I'm more of a dancer than I am a human, <laughs> but I, I guess I am both technically, <laughs> officially. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing all right, John. You know, today was one of the first days I did cardio in a while and I felt like I was going to die. So I didn't. I, so I, I'm here to see another day. That's the important part. And What's your definition of cardio? What do you, when you say, cause cardio has different meanings to different people. Yeah. So this was, I was away for a little bit and I didn't have my bike. So today was really the first time I was, I had the time and energy to do it. And I'm in an area that's pretty hilly and that was rough. It was, I just kind of got back to the house and collapsed for five minutes and then Made myself some sort of uh, like smoothie protein drink is great, tastes delicious, and here we are. And now you know, I'm just I'm watching these basketball games. They are fascinating. Just the storylines that are coming from all of it. I'm sure we'll get into some of it. Uh, yes, we will. But that's how I am. How are you, John? Um, well, I I run every day because when you get to my age, if you stop doing that, I, I'm convinced. Well, not that I'm like 80, but I'm convinced that it the the um the slippery slope just gets slippery as you get older. So I feel like as a 37 year old man, if I stop running um, or doing like some significant amount of like walking um, like I do when I'm in school and I have to like, you know, walk to and from the train, whatever, then it's just it's just going to go bad. I guess the difference between us is I uh, finished my run and um, I needed to pour myself a cocktail, um, <laughs> which I have uh, beside me, uh, which is good transition to talking about. Um, this, this, what our topic is for this episode, which is the draft lottery and, uh, all of that, that, that entails, because I was hoping to, I was hoping to like sip something a little, little refined. I have a bottle of some kind of brown liquid that I have not opened yet. I was hoping to pop it, uh, on lottery night, but instead, Jeremy, you know what I'm drinking? I'm drinking the mead. Because that is what the eighth pick deserves. And here's my analogy. And I, I want to know your opinion on it. It's still alcohol, right? It's still alcohol. It's still, it still gets the job done. 
but it's really terrible. So again, I just think you're having bad mead. It, There's good mead out there. Well, I've had it personally. It's find find a decent brand of mead and feel free to text it to me, and I will go out and purchase it, and I will be the judge um, for myself. Or, or better yet, I'm going to use this app that I found. What is it? I'm I'm going to give somebody free advertising here. Um, Driz, Drizzly. Yes, Drizzly. It's a picture of a grizzly bear, appropriately enough, and they will deliver uh, bottles of alcohol to your house. Um, anyway, so. The Knicks got the eighth pick. We've had a few days to process it. Um, I get, well, let's start with this. I'm, I'm like, I'm fine with it. I, I think you may have shared this on Twitter. I, I'm not 100% sure. My logic is this. I think only there was no difference to me whether it was not that there's no difference, but six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. It is what it is. Top four would have been nice. Um, top, but really, I think the way it's shaping up now, it, it was, it was basically going to be like top. Two, maybe top three or bust. And there was a 20 to 30% chance of that happening. So given the math is what it is, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm okay. How are you feeling? I, I honestly felt on the lottery night at the lowest point that I felt about this team in a while. Wow. Um, and I was surprised. I didn't expect that. You know what it was? I, I know the numbers. I just I hadn't emotionally prepared myself for the thought of eight. That's fair. I had consistently pegged it as seven just based on the fact that it was the most logical. And again, like I said, I know that there was what a one in five chance of it happening uh, where the Knicks would fall two spots. And it certainly did. But there was something about the the hype and the anxiety. And I really like for for two full days, I was nervous uh, but that kind of always happens, especially around the draft lottery night, because it's it's like your entire season is maybe not – it could change, obviously. You know, getting a top pick doesn't guarantee anything. You could still find something later on. But I think there's also a level of um, positivity that just comes with it, a stroke of luck. Your brand kind of improves. The general optimism can improve. And it was just so disheartening to see everything lining up perfectly – and then eight, you're expecting the Bulls, I think it was or the Hornets, and all of a sudden it's the Knicks, and you're just like, I I can't believe I stressed over yeah. this team to fall two spots. The fact that it was the first one to drop was what I think that's what made it so hard that they were the first one to drop. Yeah, like if if it had been sort of uh, like if the I guess it was the Bulls who were behind them. If the Bulls finished eighth, then I would have known. Okay, the Hornets are moving up it just they simply are then i'd be like i can i could now see the knicks dropping one and then it would have happened but instead it was just like oh great so you're telling me that the two teams who finished just ahead of the knicks are the lucky ones and the knicks get to pick eight awesome great so that, that was kind of how i was feeling um but you know it's it's fascinating to me because this whole tanking thing with the revised lottery odds it's still a very small sample size, but it's another year of showing that tanking sort of starting to be devalued. Uh, and this is kind of where I'm at a crossroads because I do think it's important to uh, improve your lottery odds no matter what, right? Like, I mean, you could look at a team like the Cavs where in consecutive years they've fallen three spots. They've fallen half, further than the Knicks have both but, times. Yeah, they fell further you, you than the Knicks. I, I saw a tweet from somebody that was like, Nobody had a worse lottery night than the Knicks. And look, yep. I, I'm, yeah. I'm fine with clowning the Knicks. I don't, I'm like over it at this point. But like, 
at least be factually accurate. Like someone literally did have a worse lottery night than the Knicks. That was my feeling too. It was like, all right. I mean, no one gives a shit about Cleveland. I get it, but it's the sort of thing where like you fall to eight. Okay, fine. That's, that's whatever. But when you have the second worst record and you fall to five, what, two years in a row. And I just, I just want to say something real quick on that. Look, I'm, I'm, I say I'm over it. I'm not really over it. This shit still bothers me. Like the Fox stuff and the Donovan Mitchell, although I don't think that that's like dispositive of what he will or won't want to do. And what, you know, when the time comes, I think he's just laughing at, because here's the thing. These people know that the amount of care that Nick fans have for their franchise, if you add up the amount of care, and this is no shade against people in Charlotte or Sacramento or um, what are some of the other teams that are, you know, down that are per- perpetually down here? If you add all of those teams up, right, and you add up the total amount of like, uh, what, what what's what's in your heart, whatever whatever the substance, whatever that ether is that is in your soul, if you add all that up for all those other teams and you multiply it by three, it's not going to add up the to-, to the total amount of care that Knicks Nation has. For this team, irrationally or otherwise, and it, of course it's irrational, but w- this is how we're built. So I, I, it's like we should take it as a compliment, but of course we don't. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing, and maybe I'm just reading into this incorrectly, with Donovan Mitchell, I, I've always interpreted the the emojis that he did as kind of like the laughing and pain emojis, not like ha ha oh, jokes on you Nelson. We should get uh, Chris. He's, he's I mean, you're young, but he's he's really, you know, yeah, he, he would yeah. know. That's true. He would. <laughs> um, yes. No, that's that's fair. That's a fair interpretation. We and should then I think look that people that. kind of were like, no, not you too, Donovan. And then he was like, oh, you know, like there's too much going on. I got to delete this because there's too much. I mean, look, look at what the Knicks have built around and, and the familiarity that Donovan Mitchell has with the people who are in place. I don't think he was laughing and like, you know, at the Knicks per se. I think it was more like the laughing while crying situation, but whatever. It doesn't even matter. It, I, it, 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 it really, it does. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, but the thing about the lottery though, is if you look at the last, the last two years, um, it was three, seven and eight and seven, eight and 12. Those were the seeds of the teams that moved up. And of course the Knicks, you know, finish the seventh worst record, drop as far as possible next year. Like we know that's inevitable, but I guess the thing that, the most compelling argument, though, is that finishing worse, like, you know, we're just talking about how it does limit how far you fall. But I did see some, you know, like the Knicks should have lost to the Hawks uh, tweets. And I thought, you know, that's interesting because, yes, hypothetically, that would mean that their pick would be better. But what was also really fascinating to me was why didn't more people say the Knicks should have won more games? Because in reality, and again, like, if they release the the lottery balls a millisecond later, then things could still change. But no, you're you're right about the, what you're about to say. If you're if you're saying like I'm so mad that the Knicks didn't lose more games, and the two teams directly ahead of the Knicks in the standings were elevated, then that's kind of a reason to say maybe the Knicks should have won more games. And so that's again like that's where my crossroads are. I I think you got to just you just. You have to let what happens happen or let what happened happen. And it's just so tough to predict. But then I see, of course, the philosophy of if you are the Cavs, right, you drop from second to fifth. That's bad. But the good news about that is if you really wanted to trade up and if you had the assets, 
you're not trading up very far. It's only a few picks. There's not that big, you know, drop off. So it, it was more just like it doesn't have to be a woe is me. Now you could actually evaluate the opportunity of potentially winning more games and not hurting your brand as you tank into oblivion and, you know, find yourself in a situation akin to what the Sixers are going in with right now. Well, um, funny you bring up the Sixers. Um, I was just going to say to to put a cap on the to, to tank or not to tank for anybody who's upset that they didn't tank harder or whatever. I I think at this point, the only way to properly tank would be to have the foresight to target a specific draft, which, you know, the way it's shaping up 2021 might be that draft. And that's one. Two, um, plan to suck a lot of ass the year before the draft. Um, so, and that, you know, that carries with it its own caveats and, and potential pitfalls. And three, and nobody has done this yet. And I don't know that anybody ever will, um, like have the forethought to acquire at least one, but probably more than one picks, unprotected picks or potentially unprotected picks in such a draft from a team or teams that you have some modicum of confidence will also suck um, during that draft. And like considering how many more hoops there are to jump through than what the Sixers did. And again, we could, I guess we could talk about them at some point. Um, it like, I just, that's a lot. And I just don't see and it still requires luck, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I don't see it happen. I, I just don't see a team being able to do it as a feasible, as a feasible plan. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is, especially with the revised lottery odds. You know, the Sixers, what they did so well was taking advantage of a system and exploiting it. And since then, the market, that being the NBA, has corrected that flaw. And now we we see the new lottery odds, and we see how. Again, the team with the worst record does not wind up with a top pick. And that was true for a very long time. And then, oddly enough, two years in a row, it was then the opposite, where the Suns and the Wolves had the worst records, and they wound up winning it all. So it's the sort of thing where you just – just there's so many ways to build a team. And I think that you could kind of look at it with the Knicks as well, where – and we're going to obviously talk about this – where. Do you trade up? Do you trade down? Do you stay where you are? Do you trade out? There's a reality that of the top three players, there's going to be a player drafted from four to 60 or even undrafted who is better than one of those players. Can we pause for one second there? Sure. If we look at the NBA today, and I know this has been done, but I I just, I I think it's worth, it's worth at least saying quickly, um, there are maybe 10 guys. I, I I hope this doesn't come out wrong. There are maybe like 10 guys in the league that actually matter today. Is that fair to say? Like when you're trying to win a championship, right? Maybe it might even be less. I was about to say, maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight. And if I'm just, I'm literally like looking up the standings. And if I go, I'm just like going from the bottom of the West up. If I go Lillard drafted sixth, Doncic drafted third. Um, 
James Harden drafted third. Nikola Jokic drafted 46th? 41st? 51st? 40-something. Kawhi Leonard drafted 15th. LeBron James and Anthony Davis obviously drafted first and first. Um, Kevin Durant drafted second. Joel Embiid, I'm I'm still putting him there, uh, drafted third. Uh, Jason Tatum drafted third. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo drafted 15th. So it's like... Of course, you have your firsts, but this is not the year where there is that first pick. So then you move maybe into that second category and is your and look, there's probably going to be a transcendent player or a transcendent ish player that comes from somewhere in this draft. It just might not be who we expect. So maybe this is one of those years where it is like Lillard at six or Curry at seven or, you know, um, Maybe again, unlikely, but Kawhi or Giannis at 15. Like it, it happens. Yeah, it does. And so I did some research and I love when you research and prepare. It just, it inspires me. Oh, I'm glad, you know, it's fun. It's fun to do. And, um, okay. So since joining the jazz in October of 2001, um, Oh, I like where this uh, is going. (laughs) Do not say Scott Perry. Perrin and Perry, for some reason, always. I know, I know. Walt Perrin uh, and Utah have had, by my count, five top 10 picks. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that Darren sounds, Williams. That sounds accurate, yeah. Annis Cantor, Dante Exum, Trey Burke, and Gordon Hayward. Obviously not in chronological order, but that's from uh, the third pick to the ninth pick. So just some interesting thoughts when evaluating those five. Uh, number one is not a single one of those guys was a power forward. So... Like if you're thinking about Toppin or Okongwu, if you're maybe concerned or if you love those guys, I think that it's kind of a safe bet that neither of them will wind up being a Nick, especially if they're still on the board. It just something about how Perrin has built rosters in the past and also kind of Perry, too, although um, I find it hard to believe that if they are if they do care about focusing as much energy on Kevin Knox and if they do focus on Mitchell Robinson, then it seems kind of odd to me. I know it's all BPA, but fit here does kind of have to come into a factor to an extent. Well, but could we, I'm, I'm, I think I may, I, I'm getting Spencer on one, one more time before the draft, and I'm going to spend some time with him on, on Toppin because I think it requires it. And I'm look, you've been watching the playoffs as much as I have. I, I don't know if you have an answer to this question. Who... Who is he guarding in the league? Like in the last five minutes of a playoff game, how do you keep Obi Toppin on the court? I, I don't. I'm getting off of a. I'm getting on a little tangent when we don't have to stay on it. But just like, I, look, I I get the guys like whatever Amare Junior on on offense, but I just how do you how do you watch these games? And and look, is that putting the cart before the horse? Absolutely. Is there a possibility they draft Obi Toppin? He wins Rookie of the Year by putting up twenty and ten, and then they flip him for. Whoever, absolutely. I just, I, I don't know. I, just, I wanted to just throw that out there because you mentioned his name. Continue, please. Yeah, no, but I do agree. Um, but of those five guys, four of them could create. They could create offense. And the fifth was Cantor. And I think you could probably say, well, why didn't the Jazz go for a point guard after trading D. Will? But I think it'd be revisionist history. Uh, for one, low post players were still very much in vogue in 2011. Uh, two picks, three through seven of that year, were bigs. And I think outside of maybe Tristan Thompson, if you want to 
say he was a success because of the Cavs, then sure. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't want him on my team, but again, like he served a purpose. So you've got Jonas Valanciunas, got Jan Vesely, and then I think it was Bismarck Biombo. Just like it's just not a great collection of players. And and, and so, also we should note just for anybody who may have forgotten, Ines Cantor had the mystery thing going for him because mm-hmm. he went to Kentucky and he sat out the entire year. So it's like, well, I mean, you just named off all the players that came after him in a draft where there's a lot of like um, sure things in the sense that they surely are not going to be great, <laughs> like taking and and look again, not an exact science who goes ninth Kemba Walker, who goes 11th Clay Thompson, who goes 15th Kawhi Leonard. But in the in the context of like, who was in the conversation for the third pick taking the mystery guy, I don't think was crazy there. Yeah. And so um, you jumped ahead, but I appreciate that because oh, I'm uh, sorry. I know that's quite all right. Cause third, there was <laughs> this, is, Knight, this is proof that was... we never talked beforehand. What we're going <laughs> to say. On the we just exactly. fly by the seat of our pants. Pretty much. Uh, you have Brandon Knight at eight, who turns out to be incredibly inefficient, gets injured and just has a very unremarkable career. You've Kemba at nine. The thing about Kemba is Kemba really didn't turn into the Kemba we took, know. Took him um, four years. Yeah. yeah, it took him like until he was about 25 years old. And it was a lot of TLC that Charlotte had in order to develop him into that. Um, and so then you look at the talent and the best talent that year came in the following spots. One, Kyrie Irving. Nine, Kemba. Eleven, Clay Thompson. 15, Kawhi Leonard, 16, Nikola uh, Vucevic, 30, Jimmy Butler, and Hold 16, on. Wait. Isaiah Thomas. It, it, it's, you, I know he t- is getting dragged through the mud these days, but you do have to mention Tobias Harris at 19. I, I, oh, I, yes. I, You're right. I, yeah. I did admittedly forget that. My apologies. Yes. That's fine. Tobias Harris at 19. Yes. So, uh, all right. God, and no, and no more Sean Brooks love. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's eight guys in a draft that a lot of people thought was not going to be very good. Oh, did you mention Bogey? Sorry. I, I mean, Bojan uh, um, Boj, Boj, Bogdanovich, not Boyan Bogdanovich. Okay, Boyan, yeah, that was yeah. that was lit. Yes, I guess I was thirty first pick. Yeah. All star level of players, not so much like guys who are talented. Guy, guy got an eighty million dollar contract or whatever it is, seventy seven I mean, million dollar contract. Yes, but basically, oh. Tim Hardaway Jr. almost got that as well. And, point <laughs> point from point Steve being. Mills, please. <laughs> also, wait, da- Davis Bertans, forty two. Again, I was going more for like the upper echelon of stars, but you're right. All these players are. Of importance for this draft. So um, what that tells me, just right off the bat, and if we want to incorporate the players you're talking about, we can. That's totally fine. Um, But it says that from the eighth pick to the 60th, just from that draft as an example, there were six all-stars and uh, a bunch of starters and some solid rotation guys. And the Knicks have three shots. And I'm not saying that this draft will turn out like that one, obviously. But it's a sort of thing I, where I think there's a shot. It does turn out like that. Well, the maybe I, the big thing, and I will actually get into this later, is I am very concerned about the lack of size and strength in this draft. But again, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, so it's the sort of thing where you look at this draft, you could say, uh, not this one, sorry, the the 2011 one. You could say that the Jazz did what they could, and they took a chance on the mystery guy. Uh, they also had, I believe, the 12th pick right after Clay Thompson. And they you can say, you know, do. like they had two shots to get two great players and look at all the players that finished behind them. And you could look at that as kind of a mark against Walt Perrin. But then I would say, again, they had five top 10 picks and their success rate on that was really 40 percent in terms of stars. 
And I mean, if you want to say Cantor serves a purpose to some degree, I mean, he's still playable and uh, in, in short spurts, of course. And you've got Trey Burke, who is we're currently watching on the court right now, and I mean, he's he's playing for a decent team, so it's not like they're awful players. Can we also a- also say yeah. real quick? And I, I look, nobody has shot on Enos Cantor more than me. <laughs> Needless to say, the game changed since 2011, yeah. and that dude once upon a time got a sixty uh, sixty million dollar offer sheet from Portland, like from a smart GM. Like that, um, he, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but sure. He's, he was anything but a bust. Like, I think, you know, if it, let me put it this way, if at the time he made the pick, Walt Perrin could foresee into the future, the type of career that Ines Cantor was going to have in terms of what he would do on the court, the stats that he was going to put up. And he didn't foresee like the game change, like, and you didn't tell him how the game was going to change. And you're like, here, this is the guy you're going to get. Are you comfortable with that? I, think he probably would have made the same pick maybe I, I think what also happened in utah is Cantor forced his way out that's true and that was a big factor and then he it was with the the giant contract that he said because there was a rookie what for the his, when he's a restricted free agent it was a huge offer and um it was matched eventually and that's why the trades occurred that followed later but he didn't want to be in utah anymore and i can't say I blame him because of who he was playing behind so uh, but, you know, I mean, you look at the at the at the Jazz, right, and their track record, and then you compare those the same amount of top 10 picks are in that ballpark since 2001 when Perrin arrived. And my God, man, it's like a third of the league that had just atrocious picks. I mean, I, I'm not just talking about the Knicks. You can look at the yeah. Suns, the Bulls, the Sixers. I, I went through and I made sure to find this. So it's accurate. The Magic, the Pistons, the Hornets, the Wolves, the Cavs the Clippers, and the Warriors. And look, I mean, if you're the Warriors, for example, you take that trade off 11 times out of 10, right? You get Steph Curry and the other guys, who gives a shit? But it's still, it goes to show, and there are different regimes, of course, that are at play, but just how much of a crapshoot the draft is. Yeah. And it's an important factor. And guys who are hot now may not be hot later. So this probably brings us to our conversation about the potential of trading up. Is there anything else you'd like to say on the mat? I, I love how I'm just no. leading the podcast. Listen, I'm, hey, right listen, I'm, I'm, listen I'm, I have my mead here. So I'm, you know, to say that I'm good is, uh, <laughs> this is the understatement of the weekend. Um, I also am just looking on at the that draft on uh, basketballreference.com. And this is kind of funny. Um, four from picks three through seven. So on, like five picks, only one went to college. Tristan Thompson, and then uh, the Cantor, Val, Vesley, Biombo, uh, none of them went to college. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, no, I, I think so. This I, I want to preface this by saying I think it's going to be very interesting in the weeks and I, I guess months to come because you know we may not even get the draft on October. Uh, was 15th or 16th, whatever it's scheduled for now. 15th. Yeah. Um, it, whether the conversation drifts, I think there, let me put it this way. I think there are three distinct places this com- the conversation about the next traffic can, can take one trading up two, trading down and picking up an additional asset, which has already been mentioned by Mark Berman and which is actually going to be the, the theme of this entire week of Nick's film school newsletters. I'm going to be going through five different 
trade down scenarios that I think are, um, I don't say likely, but feasible and, and, and why they might may or may not do them. And then the third thing is just trading out completely and either trading the eighth pick or the eighth pick and something else to try to acquire, you know, a, a existing player right now. Uh, and obviously that would, it would need to be a, you know, a considerable player. Um, I'm just, I don't, I have no idea which way the conversation is going to wind up in terms of what people are going to want them to do, what the rumors will say that they want to do from the little bit that I've heard. Um, I don't think I've shared this yet, but I'll, I'll, I guess I'll say it now. Um, I, I know this goes against a lot of what we've said over the months, over the, the last several months. I think they're going to be okay this year, maybe throwing some more shit against the wall than we think in terms of just like, like, yes, looking competent will be important. And I think that's where tips comes in. But I think that they're like, it may not be as gung ho to like, we got to get the AC or we got to be in the fight for the AC. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm getting the sense that they're, that they're, we may need to, and for the better, I think, pump the brakes on that. So I just want to I want to set that as the backdrop. Yeah. You know, I think it, it all comes down to who's handling the ball. Because in the it reality, does, yeah. if you get Fred Van Vliet, then you're looking at a more expedited path. And if you start a rookie or a journeyman, then you're probably not going to be great. And if you're not going to be great, then – I mean this goes into a whole other uh, discussion about – roster building but i agree and yes i think and i hope i honestly hope to a degree that the knicks kind of just throw what else whatever's out there they're probably not going to win a whole lot of games so just try your best and see where things are at play i do think that the fourth scenario of staying put at eight it's it's the least sexy of all the choices but i, I think it I think it's still something to consider. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, no, I don't want to. I don't want to downplay yeah. that. That's one hundred. I, I. That's probably the most. I, I would say it's the most. Li- I think I may have said something contrary to this on the pod the other night. But in in some retrospect, I think it is the most likely. Now, whether is there's a thirty percent chance or a thirty five percent chance of it happening, um, maybe that's what I said. I think it is un. Like I think there are. If you're asking me like every other outcome combined as a percentage and then the likelihood of them staying at eight and just picking as a percentage, I'm picking another outcome. But in terms of like if we were to give a percentage to each of those four different things, I'm giving the highest percentage of them staying at eight and picking. Yeah, cool. So let's start with trading up. Um, What do you got? John, in the last 25 years, how many times do you think a team – has traded down from the top five. Now, mind you, here's the caveat. Uh, teams that have multiple top five picks are excluded from this conversation. How many times do you think that a top five team has traded down? I think I did a newsletter on this like a month or two ago. Um, I don't know if it was top five, but I maybe it was top five. God, I really just need sleep. Um, you got a lot going on. That's I do. I re- <laughs> um. Over the last 25 years? Since 1995. Great year. Since 1995. Um, I'm pretty sure in whatever column I wrote, I included the Weber trade. So wait, would, hold on. Uh, uh, clarification. Would that count because the uh, uh, Warriors 
Warriors. No, the Magic traded down from one to three. Would that count? Or are you talking about trading out of the top five? The Weber trade was earlier, was it not? Yeah, no, it was earlier. I'm just asking, would that type of trade qualify? Are you talking about trading out of the top five? I'm saying completely out of the top. So how many, how many, okay. How many teams traded completely, had a top five and they traded out of the top five? Yes. Um, uh, For another pick, not, not just completely out. So just because I, I don't want to confuse you. Basically, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, had a top I understand. Five pick and they traded for another pick that yeah. was between six and 60. I can't, actually can't imagine. That, I don't think that there were that many times where a team traded a top five pick just for a player. I think you could probably count those on like a couple fingers. Um, the Mike Miller trade was not. A, I think that was like the six pick. Anyway. OK. Um, so 15. 15 times. That would. Yeah, I think that's my uh, 13, 15, something like that. 13. So in the last 25 years, it has happened a grand total of twice. Seriously? Two times. The first was in 1995. Um, it was... Now I'm going to pull up the newsletter. Mc- Keep talking. It was the Antonio McDice and Brent Berry trade, and it was really part of a much bigger deal. But uh, the second trade was actually between the Blazers and the Jazz in 2005. And that was the D-Will trade, where Walt Perrin said uh, to Jazz Jazz front office... Three for six. We need to, we need to get one of Darren Williams and Chris Paul. And the, the pick, the picks that they gave up, it was uh, getting number three for number six, number 27, and a lottery protected first round pick the next year, which turned out to be pick number 30. So if you're the Jazz. Wait, a, a lottery protected? It was a lot. The, the following year, 2006, it was a 2006 lottery protected pick. And it turned out that it became, it conveyed as pick number 30. Oh, um, oh God, wait, hold on. I'm going to get the guy of the, uh, the guy who went number six. He came straight out of high school. Oh my God. There was an article on him in like sports illustrated and he was like the next big thing. And he turned out to suck. I think uh, it was, was it Webster? Yeah. There you go. Okay. That's it. Okay. I don't have it here, but I vaguely remember. I yes. think that's, so, I think that's who it was. Right. So if you're the Blazers, you think this is a great deal. We're getting all these picks and didn't really work out well for them. I mean, it didn't work out well in the end for the jazz, but they still got the better player and they won this trade. So, again, the, the framework of this trade was 6, 27, and 30. And I can already tell how many Knicks fans listening to this are eagerly saying, well, wait a second. We've got eight, which is like two away from six. We have the 27th pick, and we have a Mavs pick that we could post, you know, we could definitely use. So let's do that. And to that, I say pump the brakes because here's the thing. Oh, do you? Please continue. I do indeed. This is a weird year, obviously. Maybe teams, it all depends on the salary cap and if they do decide to push back the draft. I mean, they're not going to have the draft without knowing what the salary cap looks like. So um, that's just an important thing because teams have to operate with the finances in mind. But it is asking quite a lot to go from eight to what? We'd have to say I'm still not well, this, convinced that the Wolves are going to pass on Lamelo. So this gets into this gets into a whole a whole thing, right? Because okay, so hold hold on here. You don't think the Wolves are going to pass on Lamelo? I'm not certain. You know, I mean, I think they're going to go best player available. They already don't care about defense. If they want to trade the pick, trading a player like Lamelo 
instead of acquiring Anthony Edwards or maybe James Wiseman, although I don't think that he's necessarily in consideration, James Wiseman, uh, it's it's something to consider where who's going to have more value to how many teams? Maybe the Hornets desperately love LaMelo. Maybe the Bulls do. Maybe you can try to trade him to a team that is looking to trade one of their own stars and they want to add somebody. Who knows, right? But it's it's the sort of thing where who leaving draft night could potentially have the most value. And if that's LaMelo, then I could understand why you play, why you, you go after him. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know what I, I, I don't know what the consensus is right now. I feel like if anything, there would be a slight, slight majority of people that would say it's going to be Edwards. But I that's I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't. So. All right. Whatever. They're going to they're going to need to trade into the into the top three. But it, but the other the other part of that that's confusing. And I'm, I'm sure you're going to get to this is that with the Warriors, you're not dealing with the rationale of a typical team that's in that that's in that spot. At least I, I, I don't think so because they're, they're trying to win the championship next year and, mm-hmm. and the Knicks don't have um, anybody currently that can help them do that. Well, yeah, expect, well, I don't know. Okay. We'll continue. I think that the warriors are just going to try to have as many assets on hand as possible. This is the weird spot that they're in, right? Because if anything, my, my guess is that they'd probably want to get a win now piece because they have a win now team. But you know that they're looking at Milwaukee and Giannis, and they would love for him to get there. And doing some sort of sign and trade where they attach assets would be the perfect situation. You know, that's just probably where their head's at. So maybe turning this asset, the second overall pick, into future assets uh, in the forms of picks that might be conveyed later on is more important to them. We don't know. But the biggest point here is, as it pertains to the Knicks on this Knicks Film School podcast about the Knicks, is that dropping from two or three to eight is really steep. And it may not seem like it in the long run because we've just talked about the fact that there's going to be talent that, that comes out of the top, you know, after the top three that could easily be better because you're talking about 57 plus players versus three. One of them is bound from the 57 to be better than one from the three. But it's the sort of thing where that still is asking a lot in terms of the players on the board. And if you're Golden State, Maybe you really like, I don't know, Okongwu, but there's a risk that he gets taken. And now you've moved down, you've gotten other assets for moving down, but is that a piece that you really wanted or did you just kind of move down to get more? Is quantity better than quality in this case? Do you have your cake and eat it too? I don't know. I really don't. But again, yes, this is a very odd year. I just am unsure that you can because it's it's kind of unprecedented to see this type of movement but it's yeah. an unprecedented here so well hold on there's one trade you may have missed and i don't know maybe maybe i didn't understand the the cap, the parameters in 1997 the uh sixers traded the second pick which was keith van horn to jersey um, the New Jersey uh, Swamp Dragons for Tim Thomas, who was the the seventh pick, and then uh, Jim Jackson, who at the time was, I mean, still considered a a good NBA player, not a not a you know earth shattering NBA player. Did maybe, but maybe that's your the what you were looking at did did not. Um, 
I don't know. Con- no, consider that's, that. That's the case. It's because so for full disclosure, I used Wikipedia, and Wikipedia does a great job of <laughs> disclosing is when draft days trade draft day trades. But for this one, they did not. So uh, that's disappointing. Well, no, listen. There's three, but again, it's like it. You know, so, so it's the sort of thing where it's it's still similar in terms of how much you're giving up. But uh, well, regale me with this pick. No, I'm, well, it's I'm it's just aware. it was yeah, it was Van Horn for Tim Thomas and Jim Jackson. I mean, I think. In terms of the value that, that Ball has right now, um, I, I think it's kind of comparable to what Keith Van Horn had coming out of college, where he was like a clear number two to Tim Duncan, but he was, you know, he was this still second best player. Um, the difference is that, like Jim Jackson, like I, I would love to um, say that that Julius Randle is like uh, can be treated as like a, a Jim Jackson type. I, I, I'm not quite sure about that. Um, and plus, the Warriors I, I, are not going to have any interest in in Randall. Not to mention that uh, here's the other thing that we should note. This is important. The Warriors have a trade exception for seventeen million dollars. It's a lot of money, but as you have noted on this podcast many times, trade exceptions cannot be. You can't go over the trade exception. Like you can't send. Um, like the Warriors can't. To send their seventeen million dollar trade exception, and then a player who's worth, let's say, two million dollars, and then have the Knicks send back Julius Randle, who next year makes eighteen point nine million dollars. Like you can't combine the trade exception with another thing. If you're tr- if you're acquiring a player into the trade exception, their whole salary has to fit into that exception. So, for anybody out there thinking like the Warriors are going to want to make Julius Randle their small ball five or whatever, like no, it, it's it's that would require the Knicks taking on. Um, Andrew Wiggins, which I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not mentally prepared to have that podcast right now. <laughs> it, anyway, so I, I just wanted to get uh, to get that out there. Um, but I did think that that was that was interesting. I, and again, the like I've seen. God, I don't know if you want to talk about this. I wrote about it a little bit this week. Like the notion that the the, the Knicks would trade Mitchell Robinson and the eighth pick. To move up to left, I don't. I think that's a non-starter. Are are you? Where are you at on that? A non-starter for the Knicks or for the Warriors? To me, it's a non-starter for the Knicks. I'm, I'm not. I'm not because to me, the Knicks have four assets that are have any value right now. Um, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, this pick, and next year's pick. So if you're trading two of those assets for one thing in return, the one thing in return you are getting has to be damn good. And it's not only damn good, it has to be a sure thing that it's damn good. So I I just, I love LaMelo Ball and I'm high on LaMelo Ball. I'm not, I, I'm not giving up Mitchell Robinson an eighth pick for him. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've talked about Mitch in the past. I do have some concerns moving forward. Uh, as, I mean, as do I, specifically right. about the contract that he's going to be yes. asking for in a year. So I'm not saying that you can't trade Mitchell Robinson, but you still have to treat all of your assets as things that you need to maximize, as we talk about literally every week on this podcast. You do. And I think another thing that the Knicks should consider is if we are to assume, and this shouldn't necessarily be an assumption, but if there's a world where Mitchell Robinson, because of potential contract concerns in terms of free agents, whether you want this to be the case or not, we just we have to embrace the reality here. If you think that Mitchell Robinson's contract is an issue, you don't have to do anything about it right now. You could wait. 
the first thing I would probably do uh, around free agency is say to is call up Rich Paul and Clutch and say we want to offer Mitchell Robinson a contract extension. And no, I want to say Clutch, real quick the max the, the most that that could be this 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 summer is it's like fifty two million over yeah, four, for four over years. four years, which I. God, I will I will chug a bottle of mead live on on Periscope on Twitter if he signs for four for 52. It's not happening. I agree. And then when he rejects it, the Knicks could are then faced with, uh, I'd say, probably three options come trade deadline. One, keep him. If you love him and you feel comfortable paying for him, do it. That's fine. Two. You could wait until the trade, excuse me, until the the draft, and you could actually guarantee his option, and you could then flip him that way, and then that way, uh, when before the start of the next season, the team that acquires him could sign him to a contract extension, and because it's the beginning of his fourth year, and it could be for up to you know twenty five percent of the next the following year's salary cap, or three. I'm now trying to remember what the third one was. Uh, it was probably something along the lines of. No, those uh, are those are good too. I like those. Yeah, two. yeah. Uh, you know what? The third one kind of just <laughs> disappeared on me. But no, but the point. Listen, you, the, was, the, you know, it was probably it was probably it was probably having fear of all of this. That's what it was. It was having fear of all of this and dealing him at the deadline. So another team has to deal with the idea of trading of of signing Mitchell Robinson long term, uh, whether it's starting this year or the year after when he would be an unrestricted free agent. And to me, it's like this, right? You could either use Mitchell Robinson hypothetically for your team to benefit you to move up in a draft that's especially next year, or you could use him to obtain a completely different pick and use that pick. So there's a whole, you know, there's a ton of things that the Knicks could do with Mitch. I know a lot of fans certainly love Mitch and that's totally fine. I understand it. It's just trying to understand the the economics of what Mitch means, especially the two years leading up to RJ getting a contract extension. Um, because the reality is that you're, it feels like kicking the can down the road and maybe it is to a degree, but if you are able to maximize free agency to the fullest in 2021 and 2022, and you're able to get a piece that is better than Mitchell Robinson, then it's something you absolutely have to consider. I, I just I want to make it very clear. I am I don't want to trade Mitchell Robinson. And the reason I don't is not completely rational. It's because I think at some point you need to stop hitting the reset button. Mm-hmm. And where whereas I totally understand the notion your notion it, it makes complete sense to take the found money that you got with the 36 pick. Like that's what good team, that's what good organizations do. They take found money and then they flip it into, I don't know, what's the, whatever, something, something more substantial, um, and more, more definite and more, you know, I, that makes, you're saying, you're saying taking found money in Mitch and flipping that or keeping the money in. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, and flipping it because it's like, you got this gift. Like there is logic to that. There's real logic to that in a league that devaluing the center position more by the day. And I, and I, I, unless, you know, your, your center is, you know, Nikola Jokic. Um, I mean, just look at the teams that are, that are going to advance in the playoffs. They're start like the, the Lakers are starting Javal fucking McGee 
at center. The the Clippers are starting um Ivac uh Ivan Ivac Ivac no Ivan Zubac whatever his last yeah. name is Zubac, um you know and the exception the exceptions obviously are Jokic, uh, Rudy Gobert. Um, oh, by the way, I forgot about the Rockets who aren't starting the center at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. And like, you know, you have Gasol, who's like one of the elite playmaking centers of all time. Celtics, you know, are, are, are starting a guy who anybody could have had um, that wanted him. The the Bucks wouldn't don't even need a center. They signed up. They picked up, um, you know, uh God, Lopez off the off the scrap heap and he's functional for them, but they they don't really need a center. Giannis is their center when it when push comes to shove. And um kind of similar with the well the but the Heat again, elite playmaking center, um, defensive versatility in in Bam Adebayo. So unless you have one of those like Gobert, Jokic, um uh Adebayo types, it's just it's like, what are you doing? And that's both from a team building perspective and a financial perspective for when you're when you're worrying about your cap. All that said, all that said, I still don't want to trade the guy because he's the closest thing you have to a foundational piece for a team that has not been able to pour a foundation in two decades. So, and I think there is merit to that. I think that that's real. And I think we'd also be kidding ourselves if we didn't consider the fact that uh, West uh, Worldwide West now works for. The New York Knicks, and he has long been friends with uh, Rich Paul, who is Mitchell Robinson's agent. And there is a vast sea of gray between four years and fifty-two million, and um, the the Clint Capella contract, which is, I think, m- maybe the the high end of what we think Mitch might get. Um, so I, I don't want to rush to do that unless it is clearly the right deal and the and a smart deal. And I just don't know that that is going to present itself in this draft for for me personally. I, and I, I and I would be open to disagreements about that, but I, that's that's for me. Yeah. Again, I think any conversation about trading future assets at this point is something that should be uh, revisited around the trade deadline. That's fair. It doesn't mean you're that anyone's going. It's just having the conversation and listening into what's going on. But until then, just, you know, stay where you are, trade down. And this is probably a good segue into trading down because I looked at some trading out of the top 10. So if you have a, uh, a top five pick and trading down out of the top 10, uh, reviewing some of them. So Last year, we saw the Suns trade the sixth pick, which was Jarrett Culver, to the Wolves for Cam Johnson and Dario Saric. I'd say that was a pretty good deal for the Suns. I'd I, say for the Wolves, it's it's still going to need some time well, because Culver we'll see. wasn't we'll great. See. But listen, we don't yeah. we don't we don't know what Culver's going right. to be. It's an interesting early, trade. Early reaction is this: the Suns did well from it. Uh, the year before, we had Mikhail Bridges at 10 going to Phoenix. We had uh, Zaire Smith and the 2021 Heat pick going to Philadelphia. And, I mean, right off the bat, this is a terrible pick. This is just a terrible decision by Philly. Um, <laughs> that could be that could be a theme of, of yeah, today exactly. as we're recording this. Uh, we should say, actually, that the Sixers did get eliminated from the playoffs today. But, yeah. yeah, Too bad um, for them. Then in 2017, Scott Perry, he was part of the team that traded down from 10 to get 15 and 20. 10 was Zach Collins. 
the Kings had 15, which was Justin Jackson, and then 20, which is Harry Giles. And that was a great trade for the Blazers. The Kings, they traded Justin Jackson to the Mavericks. And now they are not even having Harry Giles back. And this is only his third season coming up. So poor management of assets. The year before, the Kings traded the eighth pick, Marquise Chris, for to the Suns for uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich's rights. The 13th pick, which was uh, George's Papagianis. 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 <laughs> and uh, 28 was Scala Bissier. And that was, that was a great for, trade for purely for, for Bogey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just for that, that's perfect. Sixers in 2014, they managed to completely screw over the Mav- the Magic. Excuse me. They had the 10th pick. The, Han- the Hanky special. Indeed. They got 12, which was Darius Saric, and a future first round pick. <laughs> And then the Wolves, they traded. Uh, Amazing nine. how many of these Scott Perry has been involved in. That was. <laughs> I know. That right? was another one. He had a hard well, on. Although he was, he was not there. Yes, that's true. He so wasn't they, their GM, he he but he had a hard on for Alfred Payton. Then he has a hard on for Alfred Payton now. God bless he sure him. Sure did. So the Sixers, uh, excuse me, the Wolves traded Trey Burke to the Jazz. Uh, that's the one we talked about a little bit earlier. That was for Shabazz Muhammad, Gorgie Jang. That's, I would say, a pretty neutral trade, although Trey Burke's a better talent than Shabazz and. Jang, yeah, that was in, yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, the Bobcats in 2011, they had a very interesting three-team deal. That was the they acquired Corey Maggette from the Bucks, and the seventh pick, which was Biombo, uh, went from the Kings. The Kings acquired John Sammons, and ten, which is Jimmer Fredette. Oh, I remember Bucks, that mess of a trade. Got, yeah, the Bucks yeah. got Udry from the Kings and Stephen Jackson, Sean Livingston, and then the 19th, 19th pick, which was Tobias Harris. From the Bobcats. I'd say that was across the board pretty neutral. And then uh, finally, in 2000, the Nets traded Eddie Griffin, 7, to the Rockets for 13, Richard Jefferson, 18, Jason Collins, and 23, Brandon Armstrong. I'd say it was a very good trade for the Nets. That so, trade helped make them, you know, a finalist uh, for two years in a row. Those are two, two starters on their final team. Yeah. So and, that was the last 20 years. 19, I guess. And can I, like, can I note something? I think the thing... That a few of those have in, have in common is a, like definitely with Eddie Griffin, uh, you know, even though it's sad and tragic, honestly, what happened to him since um, I think he passed away. Right. Um, him and uh, what was the what was the one immediately before that that you mentioned before the Griffin trade? Um, so amazingly, there were 11 years in between trades, but that was the three team trade between the Bobcats, Bucks, and Kings. Maybe, then maybe it was the one after that. What was the one after the Griffin trade? I'm, just, I'm blanking. The one you just said then. The Wolves and the Jazz. Which, in which the, oh yeah, that Trey Burke, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the the player that another team is trading up for is a guy that's like a like a buzzy player who like clearly has talent like Burke Griffin um I feel like there was one other that you said earlier that a team could like talk themselves into like okay let's let's go up and 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 get this guy um and it you know it didn't work out and it's interesting that like the you know and those were those were I think both of those I, I would consider weak drafts the Trey Burke draft was definitely a weak draft the Eddie Griffin trade uh, draft I have to look back at um but you know, if a guy falls to eight, there's, you know, it. it's probably a reason he falls to eight. And it's just, I think it's going to be really interesting in this draft. The only difference is here, a lot of the trades that you mentioned were multiple picks. Like, you know, for instance, the, um, like, 
you know, a, a, a pick, a pick one pick, you're getting one pick. That's like a few picks down and then another pick further down in the first round, given that the Knicks have 27 and 38 already. And given the fact that this draft has so much, um, fluctuation in terms of like either beholder talent between like 15 and 40, I don't think the Knicks would be motivated to do a trade where they're like picking up an extra pick that's further lit, that's further down the draft. And, and I'm, you were probably going to say this anyway, but I think they would do such a trade if they could get a, like an NBA, like an NBA player that could help them now or in a scenario that I don't think is likely, but you never know a future asset that has a chance ever so slightly, but a chance to turn into something good and real and helpful down the road. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I mean, just looking at these trades that we uh, just talked about, it's such a mixed bag. I mean, I, I'm, I graded it as the team that was trading down. So the last one, it was good. Although again, that's so early. The one before that, bad for the team trading down. Before that, bad. Before that, good. Before that, good. Before that, neutral. Before that, neutral. And before that, good. So what is the takeaway? It's essentially, do you stay put? Do you trade down? What happens? And I, it's it's probably, I, I would say you probably just stay put generally. But if you feel like you can find the talent that you would have gotten at eight and that you wanted them and you know that they're going to fall, then there's no harm. Of course, you need a team willing to trade down for that piece because if you don't have a team to trade down with, you can't exactly trade down. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's kind of astounding. I I there's really no concrete. There never is, but there's very little to show uh, tangible proof as to if that's a worthwhile move or not. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't as I, as I'm watching uh Trey Burke <laughs> Trey Burke go off. Trey Burke and uh Tim Hardaway Jr. I should note also go both going for nice nice numbers today um with the with the Mavs that look like maybe maybe about to pull off victory over the Clippers. We'll see. Um, this is a lot about KP for what it's worth. Yeah, throw throwing that out there. That's fine. Yeah. Um and and look and and who and oh sorry did I did I forget to mention Luca before when I was like players who really matter he went third also, um, and a team had the opportunity to get him, and traded that opportunity away, um, the the Hawks. So you know, and and what did they get for it? They got they got Trey they got uh, Trey Young and they got a, a pick that turned out to be, you know. It, Cam Reddish, who's like, whatever, we'll, we'll see what he is. Um, but it's just proof that, and look, I'm like, there, there was some consensus on, on Doncic and that, that trade, a lot of people thought that trade looked ridiculous in the moment. And I think there's definitely more of a, a the more risk with um, the idea of trading off for LaMelo Ball because LaMelo, to, like, I'm sorry, LaMelo Ball doesn't profile as Luka Doncic, um, but you never know. You never know when a team is going to trade away a potentially um, transcendent star. It it, it happened. I mean, the, the Kawhi, like Kawhi, was a fifteenth pick. He that's a little bit different. Like you, you they, a lot of work went into making Kawhi uh, Kawhi both on Kawhi's part and the Spurs part. Anyway, um, the only other thing I, I guess I wanted to say is that I think 
there is a possibility based on where the Knicks are at that some team does fall in love with an imperfect prospect. I could see it happening with Toppin. I could see it happening with Okoro and, or excuse me, not Okoro, Okongwu. And I, I don't mean to say that Okongwu is an imperfect prospect. I think he's a really good prospect, but he plays center. So, you know, whatever. Um, hell, I could see it happening with Killian Hayes, even though that wouldn't that be interesting if the Knicks had an opportunity to draft Killian Hayes and they, and they traded that opportunity away. Um, but just, and I'm going to, like I said, I'm focusing this week on trade down scenarios in the newsletter. Um, so check that out if, if you, if you would like, but like the, the notion that like looking at some of the teams that are just below the Knicks, you know, the Suns have the 10th pick, the Kings have the 12th pick. Um, I'm not going to put the Pelicans in with this because David Griffin's running them and he generally knows what he's doing. But like, if you have the opportunity to trade down with a team that historically has not been able to find their ass from their elbow. And I guess really the Kings and the, and the Suns um, are pr- probably the only two that qualify. Like if there was a, if there was a way to get a future unprotected pick, I don't even care if it's next year from either of those teams in a trade down scenario. Like, I don't think that that is going to be on the table, but man, um, like of all the things that could happen on draft night that would get me the most excited, those would probably be like one of those scenarios would be the top. Yeah. I would say that the wizards are a team that the Knicks do have leverage over them. And if one of Okoro or uh, Vassell drops, if I'm the Knicks, I call up the wizards and I say, look, we know you need defense and we know you need help at the wing. And we're going to take the guy who falls or you could take him, send over, you know, something nice, and he's all yours. I mean, they could then say, well, we'll just take Okongwu, that's fine, and maybe they do. But still the sort of thing where it's just like if you're able to leverage them in any way, and then you're only moving down one, and let's say you're the Knicks and you have wanted Maxi or you've wanted um, uh, Kyra Lewis Jr., like y- you could still do that. It's, it's perfect in that sense, but it's really then about like, okay, well, if you do like Vassell, maybe you take him. Maybe you don't fool around. You can explore the options, but you just kind of stick to the plan and try to completely revamp your defense. And also, I'll just I'll put this out there. If you do get a player like Vassell, then while rim protection is still a very different thing, you probably do have a little bit of leeway in terms of what you do with Mitchell Robinson. But that's a different conversation yeah um but you're you know you're able to change your defense with with that type of player then it's something to explore but then that can also help you so you know it's just uh the late lottery it's as people know the further down you go the harder it is to really find talent and i was actually looking at talent from 15 to 24 because i thought the knicks could hypothetically move up but with their 27th pick. Maybe they even buy I, another pick in the second round. I think they it's, com- yeah. No, they combine their 27th pick and maybe another second round pick. And then they still have a, the other second round pick that they could still have. It's amazing how historically little talent has been from the 15 to 24 range. John, I went through the last 20 years of picks. That's 200 picks in that you, range. You just love going through the databases. I, I love I it. It's great. And I found what I would call... Uh, in terms of like great players, I'd say, oh my God, the Mavs just 
unbelievable, Luca. Sorry, this is in real time, but he just walked off the Clippers, and that was incredible. Again, um, he yeah. the fucking Hawks had the opportunity to draft, and by the way, and the Kings and the Suns all had an opportunity to draft him, and they didn't. It's just people do stupid things. Luka Doncic yeah. is. <laughs> He's just really fucking good. Yeah, it's the best of three series now. Um, but yes, so in terms of these players from 15 to 24, uh, it's give or take around 20, which is incredible. That means that 10% of the players drafted in that range have gone on to be good to great NBA players. That's To me, that's astounding. But it's it's these streaks that are so weird to me, you know, like how the eighth pick is consistently cursed, but the ninth pick, I mean – Knocks aside, at least certainly for the moment, but maybe for forever. It's a lot, a lot of good nine uh, right, selections. A lot of good nine. nines. Or like how the number one pick has gone to five teams over the last 10 years. It went to nine over the previous 10 before that and nine in the 10 before that. Uh, the disparity in picks between 27 and 28 is incredibly different. It's just like it's amazing how all of this happens. And it, like I'd be very curious if anyone has more experience in this uh, who's listening is it just sheer luck? Is there a phenomenon that can describe no, this? It's so, it's, it's I just think, fascinating. I think, look, it's not a science. I think we know as much, but like, it's also not an accident that some teams repeatedly again and again and again do well in the draft and some people, some executives repeatedly do well in the draft and others do not. Um, I guess maybe the last thing I'll, I'll say, and we may finish up here is that, you know, I did, um, for the, for the hoop spy podcast, my, my other podcast with Adam Taylor, um, we did, this was crazy. We had like all of NBA draft Twitter on, um, and did a mock draft. So it was, it was, uh, Spencer, and uh, uh, Max Carlin, um, uh, Jackson Frank and, um, Mikey V. So, all, all people who know what they're doing. And we did like a whole mock draft and, and went one through 30 and we did like, it was like a snake draft. Everybody took their players. Um, and at the very end, I asked all of them to name like one guy, just one who they thought most likely would like five years from now, people would be like, man, yeah, every NBA GM who passed on that guy was just an asshole. He should have been, maybe not everyone, but like that dude should have been taken somewhere near the top of the draft. And it was so funny because they all named people with the exception of, of uh, Mikey who named Cole Anthony. The other three named, they named Isaiah Joe, um, Xavier Tillman and uh, Desmond Bain, who all of them are projected to go late second, late first, early second. And it's like, and we're look. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot over the coming months. This draft is such, just such, such, such a crapshoot because there are guys who are projected to go well after the lottery that could wind up being really very good, solid NBA contributors, and if a thing or two broke right, um, maybe be even more than that. And so, I, you know, look. Trade up, trade down. I think, I think they're in a good spot, and I, more importantly than that, I think, far more importantly than that, I think they have the right person in the in the the war room, so to speak, and and Walt Perrin. Yeah, I would agree, and I think just the the one thing to keep in mind 
because there is a lot of love for, you know, several players. And I feel like I'm not in a position to say like, oh, you shouldn't necessarily love this, this player without necessarily seeing them for as long as, as someone else may have. I, I, I kind of wanted to wait until the draft lottery to dive in on these prospects. But I have to give credit to Zach Deluzio of the Strickland because he made a comment. He tweeted about how being bigger and being stronger and probably having a low center of gravity is just so important to how you play. And I just want people to keep that in mind because you see someone like Luca and what he just did by himself, basically, um, how he's able to be so incredibly smart and shoot well. And he's not someone who has to rely on his athleticism. He's not explosive. I'm still very hesitant towards seeing what the long-term effects are for a team. Uh, player-wise, is a little different. I mean, we, we know that there are MVPs who are incredibly fast, like Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook, who, like, like, there's a reason why they won. It's because of their incredible explosiveness and athleticism. How that translates while being among your best players and for your team, I don't know. There wasn't enough proof with Rose, unfortunately, because of his knee. And with Westbrook, oftentimes he's the second best player on the on a contending team. But then you look at Harden and how he's exactly like Luca in the sense that he's he's so good at what he's able to do with shooting and his ball handling and passing and creation that there's a lot that goes into it. And he's bigger. He's a bigger guy. And it kind of stems from this whole idea of weight. And all the players that you listed, right, who are wings and those, you know, seven, eight guys, ten guys, however many, who can really control the league. The, the vast majority of them are wings that weigh like 220 to 240. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if we just wanted to take like – so I, I – well, yeah, maybe this, this will be the last thing that we do. Like I just – I went through the – like the, the – um, centers right on the teams that are advancing um and if you look at the point guard position for those teams uh again the teams that are advancing like it's like the the point guard how many of those teams is the point guard one of the two most important players on the team um it's not for the heat it's not for the Celtics, although obviously that's kind of weird because Kemba's like not your usual third third best guy. Um, it is for the Raptors because um, Lowry is is still that good. Um, it's not for the Bucks. Uh, it's not for uh, it's, it's certainly not for the Lakers, unless I guess you could you could you could say that LeBron James is their point guard. But in the spirit of this argument, um, you get the point. Um, it's not for well, it might be for the Nuggets, but again. Their point guard is kind of Jokic, so I, I feel comfortable saying it's not for them. Um, you know, with the Rockets, it's, I don't know, would you consider Harden their point guard? But again, that's, again, in the spirit of this argument where we're talking about like traditional point guards, smaller guys, certainly not. And then um, whether you say it's the Mavericks or the Clippers, whichever one of them is going to advance. Um, and I, I should, I'm sorry, I should say the Nuggets are down in the series. Um, the Jazz, their, their most important player, or one of their two most important players is not their point guard, Mike Conley. Again, for as good as Mike Conley is, he's not as important as Don Shichert or Gobert. So, I think that's a great point. Um, I think it's a great point. I'm going to be very, 
man, I'm going to be really interested. I'm going to be really interested to see where the rumors go <laughs> over the next two months. Cause I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of them. That's, that's all. That's all I got. I think it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I agree. I, hopefully it's only two months oh. because the idea of it going longer than yeah. that. Frustrating, but we'll see. Um, all right. Uh, we should, uh, I was going to say anything you want to, uh, pump up before we get out of here, but we should probably pump up the, the Strickland. Um, you want to, you want to tell folks at home in case they might not be familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. So basically what happened was in California, there was a law that was passed that affected how writers could contribute and that had an effect on Vox media, which of course owns posting and toasting. And so a lot of the posting and toasting guys said, you know, we don't, we want to get ahead of the curve. And they looked at the models of the California teams that had already spun off from Vox Media. So thus, the Strickland came to be. And they were kind enough to ask uh, us to contribute a while back. And of course, things certainly got put off because of extenuating circumstances, as I'm sure you can all imagine. But it's, it's essentially a way for Nick's contributors to create in a free space that's um, our own and work on something. So I actually have something, it'll be today because this is today will be Monday. Um, an article on Fred Van Vliet. We were doing profiles on all these free agents as well as uh, prospects. So I got the Fred Van Vliet one and there's going to be a lot of great content coming your way from us. It's cool to say us and it should be a lot of fun. So uh, go to the strick.land. Yes, That's very very cool name. Uh, again, named after Rod Strickland's. Uh, the he was only in New York for a year, but he, he was grew up as obviously a New York City point guard. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to have uh, a, a fun kind of email column in which I go back and forth with somebody every week, roughly every week, one every week, every other week. Um, last week's was with Schwinn. Uh, this upcoming week is going to be with Spencer Perlman, obviously on the draft. So. Looking forward to contributing to that as well. Um, all right. I think we uh, this has been a pretty good post post lottery podcast. Jeremy Cohen, thank you. Um, hope you have a lovely rest of your weekend. What's left of it? Or I should say to you out there, have a great week um, as we near the very end of August and get to September and who knows what that will bring. But uh, hopefully you stick with us and thank you for making uh, the Knicks Film School podcast a part of your day and listening experience we'll talk to you later giddy up <laughs>